thing we need for living a godly life. Isn't God good? Tell somebody, isn't God good? Man, he didn't leave us here in our, uh, to kind of froth around in our own devices. He's given us everything we need for living a godly life. Look at your neighbor and tell him, say, so there's no excuse for you today. There's no excuse, right? There's no excuse. God's given us everything we need. Now, last week, uh, in fact, I would encourage you to read the context of this first chapter of Second Peter because I gave you this power-up principle. And if you missed last week, you can always go on Facebook and watch and listen uh, and so uh, uh, and, and get the totality of the message. But here was our power-up principle from last week, and here it is. Let's read it out loud together. Accessing God's ongoing... I said out loud together. Here we go. I'm going to try. Come on, Jeff, help me out. Here we go. Accessing God's ongoing supernatural power to live a godly life requires our ongoing supplemental participation. In other words, it doesn't matter what God has done. We gotta, we've got to participate. Are you with me? If God give, gives you promises and principles, you and I have to appropriate them and, and take advantage of them and, and do our part. Tell somebody you got to do your part. We got to do our part. That's really true. Uh, and so, uh, Last Sunday, I shared with you a lot of the things that God has given us in order to live a godly life. He's given us a gift of faith, gift of power, gift of righteousness, gift of knowing Him, the gift of His Word. All of that came from Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, and so He's given us all that. But if you read on, you'd say, you'd hear Peter saying, therefore, at, because of this very reason, therefore, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and on and on. What was he saying? You got to do your part. God has done his part. We have to do our part. And so the giftings of God and the power of God must be activated in our lives through our supplemental participation in the process of becoming more like Him or growing in grace or living a godly life. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants you to be more like Him than you are like yourself. He wants you to be more like Him than you're like yourself. Now, we're all individuals. We're all unique. But He wants us to be like Him and to grow up and live a godly life. So we got to power up. Everybody say power up. With that in mind this morning, I want to begin talking with you about the powering up at the place of prayer. I'm telling you, when we begin to pow when we begin to pray the way Jesus would have us pray, it releases supernatural power in our life. In fact, let me make this note. I, I noted it last uh, Sunday morning. The 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 first place where this, this word power, this supernatural power, is mentioned in the New Testament. Now, it's all through the New Testament, but the first place it's mentioned is in what we call the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew 6 and James 4. Hold your places there. But the first place this supernatural power is mentioned is in Matthew 6 at the conclusion of what we call, some call it the Lord's Prayer, some call it the model prayer. Uh, we're going to look at it that briefly in just a moment uh, as we talk about powering up at the place of prayer. But that prayer concludes with this statement. For, 
he said, pray this way. And he concludes with this, for yours is the kingdom, speaking to God, for yours is the kingdom and the power. Somebody say power. And the glory forever. Amen. So what Jesus taught his disciples there that day, when they had asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, this is how you ought to close out your prayer. He said, you ought to close it out with the declaration and the recognition and the understanding that that God's king, yours, it's your kingdom and it's your power that we need and that we rely upon. And it's you, and we're going to give you the glory forever and ever. Amen. Somebody said, amen. So, Prayer and power are undeniably linked together. In fact, I heard a preacher friend of mine years ago say this, no prayer, no power. Tell somebody, no prayer, no power. If you're a prayerless Christian, I would wonder if you were really a Christian. No prayer, no power. But when you began to pray, and you began to pray the way God would have you to pray, it releases supernatural power into the atmosphere. Are you with me? How many of you got some atmosphere in your world that needs the power of the God, of God release? How about in your family atmosphere? How about in your financial atmosphere? How about in the work environment that you live in? Prayer, catch this, releases supernatural power in our lives and in the world around us. And so that's what I want you to catch this morning. Now, I got some power-up prayer principles this morning. In fact, I have nine. I think nine, maybe eight, maybe nine. I have nine. Now, how many of you want the good news about that? I'm not going to give you all nine today, all right? So just relax. I'm going to do my best not to overburden you with too much info. But I'm going to give you some power-up prayer principles today that if you'll take them seriously and begin to apply them in your life and begin to uh, uh, use these power-up, biblical power-up principles about prayer, you will begin to see. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. Tell somebody. He's telling us. We better listen. I'm telling you right now, you will begin to experience God's blessing and miraculous power and ministry beginning to go to work in your life and in your family. I promise you that. So uh, that, that means we better listen up. So here, here they are. The first one is this, uh, that, that you and I need to, and it's Matthew 6, this power up principle is this, praying properly produces power. There's a way to pray. In fact, now it's not a legalistic prayer life. In fact, Matthew 6, have you ever heard people being legalistic with this? The, the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, give us today our daily bread. In fact, Jesus addresses this in, in his teachings about that. He said, don't be like the religious people who just re- vain repetitions. This is not a vain repetition. It could be considered a model prayer or an outline of prayer that you and I should adopt into our life. In fact, it's, it's much more than just an outline. It's insight into the way that we ought to pray when we come to God. Okay, and there's all kinds of teachings and books and insight. Hey, Google it. You're going to find out a wellspring of insight about the model prayer that Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 taught us to pray. And so, in fact, it's in other gospels as well, other accounts. 
uh, in Ma- other than Matthew 6, but I want to just quickly just outline some thoughts about this model prayer that I just quickly, and I might add mundanely quoted. Let me do you a little better favor. Let me not be mundane here. He says, in this manner, verse 9 of chapter 6, therefore pray. And oh, by the way, in verse 5, he says, and when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. And then he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Uh, and we'll look at that again in a moment. But here's the outline. Here's the model. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everyone say the last line, the last word. Say it out loud. Amen. Let me break it down. Somebody tell, tell me, break it down, Pastor. I'm not going to dance, but I am going to break it down. Let me tell you this prayer. It, we're, we're talking about praying properly. It begins with relationship. He's beginning this prayer with relationship. Now understand something. Prayer is not a religious religious duty, is it, uh, Eugene? It's a relationship with God. And he said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven. I love that. Uh, someone said once, my, my Pastor Ron said, all God ever wanted to be was a father. Uh, he is God. But in the New Testament, we see him more and more. He was in the Old Testament, as we saw last week. But more and more in the New Testament, he's trying to get us to relate to him as our heavenly father. How many of you realize the whole world has daddy issues? In fact, when you study daddy issues and just in a, from a, a social uh, perspective, that man, there is a lot of negative things happen uh, because of daddy issues or a, or a lack of uh, of, a, of a a loving, caring father figure in someone's life. And 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 the bigger picture is, and in fact, the scripture says uh, he's a father to the fatherless. He wants to be our father. Now, let me just, let me just lighten your load. You want me to lighten your load today? Look at your neighbor and say he's about to lighten our load. When you come to God, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be fearful. Some people, when you say father, they get all nervous because they've had a bad father experience. They've got a convoluted understanding of fatherhood. But I'm telling you, when you cry out, Abba, Father, in fact, Paul said it this way, we've received the spirit of adoption. That means we've been chosen. We're not an accident. We're not a oops. We're not a mistake. God chose us. He created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he, he said, well, you been adopted by God. And therefore, you can cry out, Abba, that means Father, Abba, Father, in your prayer life. I'm lightening your load right now, whether you realize it or not. Your prayer life is one of relationship. It's not one of religious duty. It's not trying to punch your time clock at the place of prayer. It's not trying to do some religious, mundane, repetitious kind of religious uh, responsibility. It's a relationship with God, for goodness sake. It begins with relationship. You're, you're going to pray properly. It's going to begin with you building a relationship with your father. Number two, it bows at the place of reverence. 
Because he says this, the second thing is, he said, hallowed be your name. That's a word of reverence. Hallowed be your name. And so when you come to God at the place of prayer, yes, it's a relationship, but he's more than the man upstairs. He's Abba Father, and he's mighty God too. And we come to him, and we bow to him in reverence, and we say, hallowed be, holy, honored, respected, reverence is your name. What we do is we put him in his proper place and we take our proper place. Are you with me? Say amen. And it builds this place of prayer. This praying properly not only begins by relationship and bows in reverence before God, uh, but number uh, three, it builds by relying upon him and a reliance upon him because he says this, your kingdom come. Your will be done. What's he saying? We rely upon you to be the governor and the leader and the, and the authority in our life. In fact, this word could actually be better translated. Come kingdom of God. Come will of God. We're, we're, we're relying upon him as the Lord and the leader of our life. And then number four. It releases blessing at the place of request. Because he said, when you pray, pray this way. Some people don't, some people go right straight to this thought. Hey, I think there's a proper way to enter in the presence of God. And there's a proper way to bring your request to God. And he said, when you pray this way, say our father in heaven, that's relationship. Hallowed be your name. That's reverence. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. That's reliance upon his governance in our life. And then it says, pray this way. Give us this day, verse 11, our daily bread. In other words, it's okay to ask God for stuff. How many of you would get a little nervous if your kids stop asking you for food? Mamas just quit cooking. Does it bother you when your children say, Mom... Could you make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Do you say, get out of here, kid. You don't need no peanut butter and jelly sandwich. No, you realize the need. And God, our Father, He understands. And so prayer is about requests, but it's not all about requests. That's what most people think. Prayer is my way to get what I need from God. Hey, yes, that's a place where, where blessings are released in our life. There's the blessing when we request. In fact, my Bible tells me in other places, God gives us all good things to enjoy. No good thing will he withhold to those who walk uprightly. Are you with me? Say amen. And the proper way to pray, it begins with relationship. It bows in reverence. It builds up, uh, and, and becomes more dynamic as we yield to the governance of God and we rely upon him. It releases the blessings at the place of request. In fact, James said this. We're going to look at that a little bit. He said, you have not because you ask not. And then it blots out our sin. Prayer at the place of prayer, when we repent, when repentance comes, prayer is a great place to get right with God. 
In fact, John said this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But look what the prayer says. When you pray, say, forgive us our debts as we forget, or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. When you come to God, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. Let me ask you any of, <coughs> let me just throw this out. How many of you have ever lived a whole day without sinning? Come on, son, Josh, surely. Scotty, you, you, Britt, pastor, no, we deal with his issue. Aren't you glad that God dealt with it on the cross? That's a part of the gospel. He died for us to pay for our sin with his own blood. Uh, and, and we do our best under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. At, but when we make mistakes, you know, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. We have an advocate with the Father, First John says. And so we come to God and he says, in your prayer life, just get right with me at the place of confession. Forgive, <coughs> forgive us, Lord. Everybody say, forgive me, Jesus. I confess my sin to you. How many of you know the Scripture teaches that that unlocks heaven in our behalf? In fact, the Bible says this as a great illustration of husbands and wives are at odds with each other. It says you better get right because heaven is closed. Your prayer life's like hitting brass. In fact, this point is the only one Jesus comes back and reaffirms about being right with others. He said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who have trespassed against us. And then if you go past that, he says, listen, if you don't forgive, God can't forgive you. In other words, you're going to be at odds with God. You've got to become a forgiver. You've, this has to become a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of getting right with others. But I'm telling you, when you do, God forgives. And I love how God forgives. He not only forgives, but he forgets. How many of you appreciate the fact that he didn't drag you through the past over and over again? Come on, somebody say amen. He's a forgiving God. He's a forgetful God. The only thing he can't do is remember your past sins. Smile and go, thank you, Jesus. So we pray properly when we begin with relationship and we bow in reverence and it builds as we rely upon him and as as we come and bring our requests it releases blessings and then as we repent it washes us white as snow and then the third one it breaks the powers of darkness as we resist the devil because he said, pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm telling you, listen to me. At the place of prayer, you can become victorious over the devil. Somebody say amen. I wish I could hang out there a while. In fact, James will, I meant to, I meant to un, uh, go back and forth to James and, and reaffirm these principles, but I'll, I'll just quote some. James 4, 7 talks about the fact that, uh, when we resist the devil, he'll flee. We submit ourselves therefore to God and let me say at the place of prayer uh, and we resist the devil and he will flee. You don't just resist the devil. You submit to God at the place of prayer and then resist the devil and it will flee. So as we resist that at the place of prayer, it breaks his power in our lives. Somebody say another amen. And then finally, this prayer, and there's so much more I could say. 
praying properly, it bestows upon God the recognition and understanding of who he is. And he says, when you pray, finish it off. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It recognizes God as authority, our Father God, as the authority and the source and the resource of everything we need. Amen. So power principle number one that you could chew on for the rest of your days is praying properly produces power. You got to ask yourself about your prayer life. Have I been praying properly? We should take this prayer, this model, and begin to put it into our life. And when you begin to pray, it's not a religious thing. It's a righteous thing. It's a relationship. And begin to hit these uh, five or six areas of our life and just make sure that we prayed the way Jesus taught us to pray. Amen? How many of you uh, in life, it's important to follow the direction? And read the directions and follow through the one who created us and designed us and made us. And this is our prayer principle number one. Praying properly produces power. Number two from Matthew 6. Praying privately produces power. Let me show this to you. Back up in Matthew 6, 5 and 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets and that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. Everyone say secret. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And the one who is in secret will reward you openly. Did you catch that? Praying privately, and let me say, coming into his presence, finding a place of private prayer time. I think it was John Wesley's uh, wife. uh, I forget her name. Anybody remember her? Uh, John Wesley's wife, she was probably the glue that held them all together, but they had a lot of kids and she didn't have a private place, so she had an apron. How many of you remember the old time? I don't even think ladies wear aprons anymore. She had one of them old timey aprons and when she went into the place of prayer, she would cover herself up in the apron and the kids knew, don't mess with mama because she's talking to God about them. She would come into the secret place. Some people say, I don't have time to pray. Listen, oh, you'll never have time to pray unless you make time to pray. But when you make time to pray, God has a way of multiplying your time. I got to do this. I got to do that. Jesus would get up a great while before day. He would make time to pray. And when he went to the secret, listen, if you'll begin to move into the secret place, I read it earlier. I couldn't resist. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place. Dwells means to live, abide. He who dwells in the secret place of the Almighty shall shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's protection. There's provision. There's deliverance. When you learn to pray privately, it produces power in your life. And let me say this. Private prayer produces public results. If you need God to move out there, you got to first let him start moving in here. 
If you want him to show up out there, you got to first get to the place where he shows up in here and you show up in the secret place and you begin to talk to him and he will move heaven and earth in your behalf. Woo, come on, somebody say amen. He will do it. I know what I'm talking about here. Praying privately, Jesus, I quoted, let me do it. Now in the morning, Mark 1, verse 35, now in the morning, look at this. Having risen a great while before day, he went out and departed to a solitary place. Got his cup of coffee. No, no, it doesn't say that. I have to have coffee, but pardon me. He departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. In fact, if you look at his life, he would pray in the night, he'd pray in the early morning, but he got alone with God. Let me tell you something. When you get alone with God and you begin to develop the habit of... Of, of, of building a relationship with Him and reverencing Him and relying upon Him and bringing your requests to Him and repenting of your sins before Him and building a resistance to the, to, to the enemy with Him and recognizing His authority in your life and praying privately, He'll show up in the secret place at the place of prayer. He'll begin to talk to you. He'll begin to empower you. He'll begin to equip you. He'll begin to touch you. He'll begin to anoint you. He will begin to transform your life. Where does it happen? At the place of prayer. Praying properly produces power. Praying privately produces power. Here's a number three uh, 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 power-up prayer principle. Praying corporately produces power. I've heard people say, oh, I don't like praying in public. I don't like... Praying with other people, I'm just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to the secret place. Let me just say, if you can't handle praying in public or praying in a corporate setting with other people, it's more than likely not just a shy issue on your part. It's probably a private prayer issue on your part. How many of you have ever had to do something publicly that you practice privately? You ever had to give a speech? You get near, you look at yourself in the mirror, you give it over and over and over and you get good privately before you ever get publicly. So if there's an issue with public and corporate prayer, it's probably because there's an issue with private prayer time. That's just my thoughts. Sometimes pastor just gives you his thoughts. You can take it or leave it. But the scripture teaches us Matthew 18, Jesus said, if two of you agree as touching anything that they shall ask. In other words, there's power in agreement. There's power at the place of corporate prayer. Look in Acts chapter 1. It says this, Acts 1, 14, they are all together in one place at the place of prayer before Pentecost. After Pentecost, when, when the power of God fell and then resistance and, and persecution began, Acts 4, they raised their voice to God with one accord. I think it's interesting that it didn't say they raised their voices up to God in one accord. They were so in harmony, so in unity, that their corporate prayer was as one concerted voice to God. A prayer of agreement. I've been in some cor- corporate prayer meetings where everybody's praying in disagreement. 
Everybody's praying, this is what I want, that's what I want, that's what he wants. And Lord, we're not even trusting what she wants. It's all about me. Hey, it's about what God wants. And when we agree together, there's corporate power. Amen. Hey, anybody ever been sick? Nobody, any, oh, let me back. Anybody ever not been, you just never sick? You just never got sick. You never been sick. So everybody's been sick. Anybody ever been infirmed a little bit? You've been firm. Look what James says. James says this. If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint him with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. What's James teaching here? The power of corporate prayer. How many of you, there are times in your life when you don't have much ump in your spiritual gump? And we need others to help us at the place of prayer. Oh, I just trust the Lord and I'll, I'll be silent. It's amazing to me as a pastor that many times I find out people have been sick or even in the hospital and they never called the elders of the church. They never called and said, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. I need prayer. Listen, I'm telling you, when I get sick, I'm calling friends, family. Y'all better pray for me. I am infirmed. I need a healing in my body. I need the power of God to be made manifest in life. Hey, praying corporately produces power. Amen. Are you with me? Say amen. You got to learn to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. We pray properly. We pray privately, and we pray corporately together. We've got time to do that today. If you have a need, we can pray corporately. But then number four, power principle number four is this praying persistently produces power. Everybody say persistently. Are you ready to learn this one? This is important. People quit too quick. And let me tell you something. How many of you have ever been in a place where you've prayed and maybe you prayed and you prayed and you see nothing happen? Am I the only one? Let me tell you something. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Because God's doing something behind the scenes. Because my Bible tells me if you call unto him, he answers you. He hears us. It doesn't mean he's, hey, let me tell you something what prayer is not. Prayer is not to get God to go to work in your behalf. Prayer is a relationship. He'll go to work in your behalf, but he's the one in charge. I've heard people pray like they're bossing God around. You don't boss God around. I actually heard a guy one time say, Lord, I command you to do this. I went, ah, I was getting out of the way because I thought a lightning bolt about to hit somebody. Uh, you don't command God. Uh, we, it's not, hey, you don't, you don't talk to God like that. Some of your kids may talk to you like that, but you don't talk to God like that. Come on now, tell somebody. You better listen up right there. That's, that, it's true. I've heard that. But persistence is a powerful thing at the place of prayer. People quit too quick. Look what, in fact, are, uh, if you're in Matthew, go to Matthew 7. Let me show you this. I'll show it in another place. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, this, when he, when he gave the, 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 the message on prayer, when you pray, he's still talking. When he gets down to Matthew 7, and he says this in verse 7, <clears throat> and he says this, you've heard this before. He says, ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will what? Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened unto you. And then he talks about God's faithfulness. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Now, here, I love all of that. That's all just, I love it. But here's how this really reads in the original language. It says this, ask, follow me. We're talking about persisting. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek. And keep on seeking. And then the context is, if you'll best keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, God will keep on answering. It's persistence at the place of prayer. Now, it's not just, again, vain repetitions. It's not, I'm just going to ask this a hundred times. And then when I get to the hundred and one time, God has to do it. It's a persistence in our heart. Next week, we're going to talk about another prayer principle, but I'll throw a little hint out. It's praying faithfully. It's not just being faithful at the place of prayer, but it's praying full of faith. And listen, that'll link up with persistence because if you believe God, come on now, if you believe God that if you call unto him, he'll answer you and show you great mighty things, which you know not, which is Jeremiah 33, 3. If you believe that, you will not stop calling and asking. Would you? Jesus taught it. Go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Here's Matthew's account of this message at the place of prayer. Matthew chapter 11, he actually uh, uh, talks about the model prayer. And there it is in the first uh, five, ver four verses. And then he records Jesus teaching something about the persistence of this prayer life, he says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on the journey and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer him within. In other words, you knock on the door and he just hollers from the inside. Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My kids are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And then he jumps back in to the ask, knock, or the knock, uh, ask, and seek uh, 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 scripture as well. So I say to you, ask, keep on asking, it will be given to you. Seek and you, uh, keep on seeking, you'll find. Knock, and it will keep on be added to you. And so, and opened unto you. So what's Jesus teaching us at the place of prayer? He's teaching us to be persistent with God. Are you with me? Say amen. And if, he, if Luke didn't think that was enough, he goes back and he remembers the parable under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Luke 18 
a parable of the persistent widow that Jesus teaches. We're talking about persisting with God at the place of prayer. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. I'm just glad he gave us that right before he shared the parable so we knew exactly what he was talking about. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, give justice, get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the uh, the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He's preaching a whole lot there. He's talking about the persistence of God at the place of prayer. And then he throws this in. You gotta stay in faith if you're gonna keep persisting. Amen. We pray persistently. It produces power. We pray corporately. It produces and releases power. We pray privately. It produces power. We pray properly. Under the guise and the direction of the model prayer and insight that Jesus gives us about what it takes to pray in a way that would honor God and release His power in our lives. And if we're going to power up, everybody say power up. If we're going to power up, we've got to do so at the place of prayer. The first place, again, I'm repeating myself, but that's me. I'm old. I can do that. The first place that's ever mentioned is when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. No prayer, no power. But if we'll begin to pray properly, Privately, corporately, and persistently, we'll begin to see the manifestation of God's supernatural power to live a godly life being made manifest in our midst. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, O God, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together. And I want you in your own way, even though we're in a corporate setting right here, you can find a little secret place. Just close your eyes and just say, my father. Just begin to touch him at the place of prayer. Just begin to call upon him. Jesus, oh God, Lord, help us to pray pri uh, uh, properly and 
privately, corporately. Lord God, teach us to pray the way you would have us to pray. We thank you for it, Lord. May you begin to engage us at the place of prayer as we engage, as we come into your presence and hallow and worship you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray today for everyone here that you would supernaturally begin to engage and relate to them at the place of prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. There's a key ingredient to having your prayer life engaged, and that's you got to have a relationship with Jesus. You got to do what the kids learn at VBS. You got to believe the gospel. The gospel is this the good news Jesus died for our sins, paid away, redeemed us with his own blood, as we sang this morning, and paid for our sins and washed us white as snow. We just have to choose to trust him. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus as the Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead would be saved. That's prayer. We confess him as the Lord and the leader of our life, and we choose to trust him. We confess him with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, he paid for my sin, he died, and then he rose again so I could have a new life too. That's the gospel. If you believe that today, all you have to do is submit and yield yourself to what he did for you 2,000 years ago. If you're here today and you can say, Pastor, I'm just not sure if I really am what the Bible says, born again. I'm not really sure at all. In fact, you may just know, I don't, I don't think I know Jesus personally. I've never confessed him as the Lord and the leader of my life. I've never bowed before him and said, forgive me of my sin, Lord, come into my heart. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, say, Pastor, today, I want to know that I know that I know him. Just lift your hands wherever you are, and I'm going to pray together with you. Amen. Anyone else, lift your hand. Amen. Together, we're going to pray together. Everyone together. I've got two hands gone up. Today, we're going to get this right. We're going to, this is what's called being born again by the Spirit of God. Everyone together, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, paying for my sin with your own blood. I believe you did that just for me. And also thank you that you rose again on the third day so I could have a new life too. I confess you as my Lord and leader. I give you my life. Have your way in my life from this day forward. I will always 
serve you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Clap your hands, all you people. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, let me tell you something. It's important to follow through. Everyone say follow through. Uh, how many of you know if you're in baseball, if you actually hit the ball, you don't just stand at home plate. You, you follow on through and you keep running. That's what the Christian life's all about. And one of the first things you, you need to do is be water baptized. You say, what do I need to be water baptized? Because Jesus said to. He said to be baptized, and, and that's a picture of, of what he did here, buried with him through baptism unto death and raised to walk in newness of life. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never been water baptized, if you just were born again today at the close of this service, Josh, raise your hand. Josh is right there. If you want to, at the close of this service, say, you know what? I prayed that prayer today, and I'm beginning this journey, and I don't want to, forget, I don't want to just stay at home base. I want to keep walking in my relationship with God. I think we have some info around here. Lord Beth, could you find that info? It's right there. And we'll give you the next steps. Keep you moving. Keep you growing. Keep you going. Keep you growing and becoming like Christ and releasing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Everybody happy? Say amen. So if that's you, at the close of this service, we've got some information from you. We want to get some information from you to help you, but we want to give you some information. It's called next steps. It's the next step. In fact, if you've been born again uh, and you've not taken uh, some of the next steps, get this pamphlet. It'll keep you growing in Christ, keep you praying, keep you moving forward. Uh, hey, and so we're glad to have you today. If you're a first-time guest, come back and see us again and again. If you're that prayer this morning and you want to take some next steps, Josh has some information for you. God bless you. Have a great day. Love somebody before you go. Uh, and you are dismissed. See you next Sunday. Bring your friends and family.